Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Easttown podcast. My name is Clint, and here at Easttown, we want to always create a safe space where you can explore your spirituality and not feel judged in the process. Remember, you can find out more about Easttown at easttown.church or following us on Instagram or Facebook. Hope you enjoy this and have a great day. In 1992, there was a song released by R.E.M., which I used to love this group, still actually do love this group. And they wrote a song in the 90s titled Everybody Hurts. And in fact, some of the lyrics were this, if you're on your own in this life, the days and the nights are long. When you think you've had too much of this life to hang on. And then it says, well, everybody hurts sometimes. Everybody cries. Everybody hurts sometimes. I don't know about you, but that hits me deeply, right? It's because that's the thing is everybody does hurt. Everybody does suffer. And I think we all question why. Why do we have to suffer? Why do we have to really go through this hurt and pain? One of the oldest books in the Bible we find in the Old Testament is Job. And in Job chapter 5, 6 through 7, it says this, For hardship does not spring from the soil, nor does trouble sprout from the ground. Yet man is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upward. Now, we want to believe that pain and suffering hammered into our lives, yours and mine, will somehow come and make us more fruitful, more productive, right? Um, But we know for sure this is that trouble will come. Now, I kind of skipped over something a little bit earlier. I want to acknowledge this. It's I want to acknowledge um, John Ortberg, who has a lot to do with the material I'm going to share today, some of the, his posts, some of his books that I've read. And then also, um, just to, to mention this again, is uh, John Ortberg will be with us in person on March 5th. I would encourage you to be with us in person on that day. Uh, to wrap up this series. Rabbi Kushner, uh, in his book, Why Do Bad Things Happen to Good People, would be another book to read about suffering. And then another great book would be Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved by Kate Bowler. I would encourage you to read that as well. Now, let's go back to this. I look at this story, like even this past week, watching the devastation that's happening in Turkey and Syria, Now, as we speak, when I'm recording this right now on Thursday, the death toll is over 20,000 people. I've also worked with families. I worked with this one family, I remember, that lost their eight-year-old daughter, then the father to ALS, and then the mother to cancer. Like, why all the hurt and the suffering? We know that it actually happens all the time. And in fact, Orberg says this, he says, I think sometimes if there was such a thing as a painometer, if it were possible to measure units of pain, like we measure the depths of the ocean, how large would the sea of human sorrow be? Wow. Now, in the, again, in the book of Job, in chapter six, we see this, if only my grief, this is Job talking, could be weighed and all misery be placed on the scales. It would surely outweigh the sands of the seas. The arrows of the Almighty are in me. My spirit drinks in their poison. This is an amazing statement from Job. Like God is actually shooting poison arrows at me. Now, I can remember exactly where I was on Christmas 2004 when an earthquake 
under the Indian Ocean unleashed the amount of energy equivalent to 550 million times the energy of an atomic bomb dropped on Hiroshima and 250,000 people were killed. Every one of them was somebody's son or somebody's daughter with hopes and dreams. And I think most of us would remember, if you're old enough, that fateful day in 2001, September 11th, where we watched a horrific act of terror alter so many lives. And in the days that followed these events, newspapers and conversation forums were filled with questions we think about this weekend. Is it possible to believe in a God who is all loving, so he wants what is good and all powerful, so he's able to make what is good in the world with so much suffering and so much evil? Archibald McLeish, this is what he says. Um, he wrote a play about Job, just the person that we were just talking about, where he expressed this problem in a single line. If God is good, he is not God. If God is God, he is not good. It's interesting that one of the books that is full of human suffering is the Bible, right? The first two chapters in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, are about the universe before suffering. And the last is about the existence of post-suffering, right? But most everything else in between is about suffering. Now, I think most of us can agree that most of the suffering that we experience is self-inflicted, right? Take a speeding ticket, right, for instance. How many of you, just be honest, how many of you have received a ticket? Now, how many of you were actually speeding? So the fault lies in your hands, right? I can remember a few months ago getting a ticket for literally picking up my phone for five seconds and looking at a map where I was to go. Now, I remember the police officer coming to the window and I tried to explain myself. And in my explanation, I let him know that as we've been sitting here, I've seen three people pass me texting on their phone while driving, right? What about them? He said, well, you're the one I saw. And then the suffering began, right? In the Bible, there are places like the book of Proverbs that offer wisdom about this, like drive wisely, parent wisely, Handle your money wisely, your sexuality, your anger, your words. Don't blame God or the universe or other people if you made your own mess. We all do, and we all need that wisdom. Yet, there are way more passages in the Bible that wrestle with the mystery of suffering. Mostly, the biblical writers don't explain suffering to people. Mostly, they, they protest suffering to God. From the book of Exodus, with Israel's slavery in Egypt, to the suffering of Job, like we just read, to the emptiness of the writer in Ecclesiastes, to Psalm of the complaints, to the entire book of Lamentations. How long? What for? Why, God, have you forgotten? Do you hear? Will you act? I think we want to believe that the Bible can explain evil or prove God's existence. But if we are honest, it's written by people who are anxiety-ridden, suffer constantly, are troubled by evil. Now, I hate suffering and evil and hurt. I hate that people, people that I love, have to carry burdens that crush them, that are unfair, that are unrelenting. Just like the story of the family I told early, earlier. Think about it. How many times do you wake up at night and are troubled by others' pain? 
right? Think about that. Think about even the suffering that's going on in Turkey and Syria right now. It's like, it's just troubling. I'm reminded we all must find a way to live, all of us in this world, Christians, atheists, Buddhists, Muslims, skeptics, all of the above, all are united in the grief and hurt and pain. I was meeting with one of my new friends this past week who is Muslim and he's from Afghanistan. And he was talking to me about all the hurt and the pain that him and his family have experienced. Even the pain that they're continuing to endure. He's the only one here and the rest of his family is in Afghanistan. I've also discovered that there are usually two reasons people don't believe in God, right? The first reason is usually this, what will it cost me if I choose to believe in God? If God is real, what does it mean for my life? What does it mean for my family, my career, my existence? What does it mean? That's one reason it's like some people just stay away from God. I believe that this reason is even higher on the list. I can't believe in a God with the existence of pain, and suffering and hate. Why did God allow this to happen to my mother? Why is God allowing this suffering that we're seeing in the world, whether it's in Ukraine or it's Turkey or it's Syria or it's in the United States, the division that's happening, why would God allow that is usually a key reason for people not putting their trust and their faith in God. Robert Brown Taylor says, most religions are actually born from suffering. A young, very entitled prince named Sahartha leaves his palace and sees a sick man and an old man and a dead body for the first time in his life and decides to devote himself to the problem of suffering. And Buddhism begins. Think about the scripture. The story of Israel begins with people enslaved and their children being murdered. Christianity begins with life of Jesus who was impoverished and tortured. The majority of the gospels focus on humiliation, on the humiliation and the crucifixion of Jesus. C.S. Lewis, who is a writer, who's the most, one of the most amazing writers, he wrote this. He said, for many years, his main reason for being an atheist was that the universe was so cruel and so unjust and so unfair, but over time, he came to realize that if atheism were true, there would be no grounds for this complaint. There would be no reason to expect justice in the first place. Deep down, we know there is such thing as justice. There is such thing as fairness and it is not arbitrary. We are rightly angered when it is violated and we demand justice, don't we? Orberg says this, he says, now one of this now, None of this proves that there is a God, but it does show that your that our outrage at unjust suffering is actually a hard thing for secularism to account for. Secularism sometimes offers the illusion of control. It's kind of ironic because of medicine, technology, and wealth. We have reduced many forms of suffering in our day. We live longer, healthier, cleaner, safer, more educated and affluent lives. But that very progress often feeds the illusion that we are in control. And I don't know about you, but I want to make sense of suffering, have reasons why suffering happens. Because if we can make sense of it, then we can control it, right? 
For instance, if someone gets lung cancer, they must have smoked, so I'm not going to smoke. If I parent correctly, then my kids are gonna grow up good. If I work hard, I will be protected from being poor or impoverished, giving me the comfort that I desire. Now, I think we believe that we are at the peak of human suffering, don't we? But the truth is, we suffer way less than people in the ancient world. The truth is, we fear suffering way more than they did. One of the truths is that is in the ancient world, their worldview, I want you to hang on to that, their worldview was that suffering was inevitable and it had to be embraced. So if your worldview is what you're seeing is suffering is all around us, that 80% of people do not even make it to the age 15, then we know it's inevitable to avoid suffering. That before the 1800s, the average age of living was around 35 to 38 years of age. Think how much time and money now we spend on trying to be healthy or avoiding death, right? One of the great questions you have to ask of any worldview is, what does it have to say to a suffering individual? A worldview void of God says, there are those that are lucky and there are those that are not so lucky and there is no hope. It's just the way things are. A biblical worldview is not void of justice and hope. And, and I, wanna, I wanna just pause because this is what I think. One of the responsibilities, not the main responsibility, but one of the responsibilities that a church should give is actually giving us a worldview is that we might not be able to change the lens that we have currently because we've grown up with them. We've taken in um, opinions of culture. We've been raised by a certain parent group or, or, or gone to school and we've learned all these things. So we have these lens. And our worldview is, is maybe something that differs from the worldview that comes from scripture. My responsibility as a pastor and a leader, your responsibility if you're a follower of Christ, is take on the worldview of Jesus that we get from scripture, right? So there's a strange thing about suffering, right? From this worldview, there's a strange thing about suffering. Suffering points us beyond ourselves. When we start following Christ, our worldview becomes different when it comes to suffering. It points beyond ourselves. We often try to numb our pain, don't we? Maybe with our career or work, shopping, vacations, comfort foods, forbidden websites, or maybe a few drinks. And this is what, um, Ortberg says, he says, uh, let me find it here. He says, every addiction begins as an escape from pain. Every one of them. And every addiction ends with enslavement to pain. Every one of them. We often try to hide our pain. One of my favorite books about forgiveness is called Forgive and Forget by Lewis Smedes. And this is what Lewis says. He says, we can distinguish between two primary ways of suffering. And this is where suffering and hope begin to intersect. Now, this is, this is key. There's suffering from, and then there's suffering with. We can suffer from something. We can suffer with someone. We suffer from painful events and experiences and losses, large and small. Loss of sleep, or bad traffic, or bad hair days, or divorce, or bankruptcy, or cancer right? There are things that are done to us out of our control that we suffer from. Then there is suffering that we choose. 
This is where we stop doing whatever it is that we are doing and listen to the mother who has actually lost that child or sit in the hospital of someone passing from cancer or hold someone as they are having that panic attack, knowing full well you can't make it go away. When we choose to do this with someone, to enter into their suffering, something supernatural takes place. The burden that is not theirs to carry alone becomes yours as well. I believe that suffering with and suffering from can be equally the same. When we suffer with someone, it actually brings us closer to what? To the heart of Jesus. Because Jesus understands our suffering. So let's talk about that. The reason we know that Jesus is there with us and understands our suffering is because of the stories we read in the gospel. He suffered with the lepers who were isolated. He suffered with those who lost children. He suffered with those who were caught in the middle of a scandal. He suffered with the doubters. He suffered rejection and mockery on behalf of all sinners, which is me and you. However, the place he most suffered was on the cross, suffering from sin, guilt, and death that we inflicted. Now, here's a question. Maybe today, you wonder in your pain and suffering or in a world of pain and suffering, where is God? Here's a simple answer. He's right there on the cross suffering with me and you. Now I want you to listen to this quote by John Stott in his book about the, about the cross. It's long, so bear with me. I'm going to read this. I could never myself believe in God if it were not the cross. The only God I believe in is the one Nietzsche ridiculed as God on the cross. In the real world of pain, how could one worship a God who was immune to it? I have entered many Buddhist temples in different Asian countries and stood respectfully before the statue of Buddha. His legs crossed arms folded, eyes closed, the ghost of a smile playing around his mouth, a remote look on his face, detached from the agonies of the world. But each time after a while, I have had to turn away. And in imagination, I have turned instead to that lonely, twisted, tortured figure on the cross. Nails through his hands and feet, back lacerated, limbs wrenched, brow bleeding from thorn pricks, mouth dry, and intolerably thirsty, plunged into God-forsaken darkness. That is God for me. He laid aside his immunity to pain. He entered our world of flesh and blood and tears and death. He suffered for us. Our sufferings become more manageable in the light of this. There is still a question mark against human suffering, but over it, we boldly stamp another mark, the cross that symbolizes divine suffering. Even in the book of Isaiah, in the Old Testament, Isaiah 53 says this, Jesus, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from 
whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. This is one of the greatest myths about Christianity and being a Jesus follower is that we will not suffer. The truth that Jesus reveals is that we will not suffer alone. We will suffer and we will suffer alone. We will sacrifice. And if there is no sacrifice and suffering in your life and you are a Christ follower, I would really question who it is and what you are following. The promise of Jesus is that one day the suffering will stop and we will be made whole. We will be redeemed and restored. It will all be reversed. In fact, what you see when Jesus is resurrected, he comes back to his followers, the people that he lived his life with, and is made whole again. He still bore his scars and his wounds, even though the suffering and pain was over. I have the scar on my left knee from when I was nine years old. I was playing football in the backyard and we decided to put the touchdown in our gravel driveway. Now, when that wound was made, it was painful and I could actually barely walk. There was a sizable stone lodged in my knee. It was disgusting. And I still remember that my dad saw it. He ran to me. He's like, there's something in your knee and we need to take care of it. He picked me up, rushed me to the doctor. Now, when I look at that scar, I don't feel the pain and suffering anymore. However, it reminds me of a time I was suffering and that my dad entered into that suffering with me. Early followers of Jesus suggested that maybe Jesus retained his scars Not because he couldn't heal them, but because they reflected his love more than unwounded hands ever could. Now, as I close, I want you to think through some of these things. This is why God has brought us together as a church. You, even if you've never been with us in person, you're a part of a bigger body. All of us have scars. All of us have suffered in some type of way, some way more than others. These scars and wounds point to our calling as his children. That's huge. In Romans 8, the Apostle Paul, he writes this. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory, we are called to suffer with. Jesus commands us to suffer with. Suffer with those who mourn. Suffer with those who are in the margins. Suffer with those who are in Turkey and Syria right now. Suffer with those people who have been marginalized. He says, whatever you do for the least of these, reminding us there are people who are suffering all around us. Now, I know some of you have suffered greatly. I know some of you have lost a child. I know some of you have suffered the pain of not being able to have a child. I know some of you have been diagnosed with a terminal illness. Know that Jesus is in the suffering with you. One of my favorite books, movies, uh, is Lord of the Rings. And at the end of the Lord of the Rings, Sam Ganji says to Gandalf, and he says this, he said, I thought you were dead, but then I thought I was dead myself. 
Is everything sad going to come untrue? And what does Gandalf say? He says, yes, it is. It's not just that suffering is going to end, although it will. It will be healed. It will be reversed. Everything sad is going to come untrue. I'll close with this quote from C.S. Lewis, that heaven will work backward. It has already started. Heaven has already turned the cross, which was the ultimate instrument of violent hate and injustice into the ultimate expression of triumphant love. And it will one day turn agony, every agony, your agony into glory, endless glory, unimaginable glory at an eternal weight of glory. We're going to do something a little bit different today. And um, we have a song prepared for you. And if you are watching here on Sunday, the song's going to be streamed with this service. And the title of the song is Until These Tears Are Gone. Now, if you are listening on the podcast or if you're watching online um, and this song is not posted at that time, the song is titled Until These Tears Are Gone. I would really challenge you to stay in this moment and to listen uh, to these words and just to, to be with yourself, these words in God. And I would just let these words wash over you. And maybe some of those questions that we asked today, why the suffering? Why the pain? Why the heartache? And God, where are you in this? And it's okay to question. It's okay to doubt. It's okay to be angry. I just want to you to trust me that Jesus enters into that with you. So as you listen to these words, hear the voice of God. And what is he speaking to you? What is the truth he's speaking with you? Thanks again for joining us today. And we will see you next week.